All right, grab your Bible with me this morning. We're going to jump around quite a bit because we're going to continue our series in Do I Trust God and Trusting God with Our Work. And um, you'll remember that when we began this series about trusting God in our work, we asked you to fill out uh, just a really short survey. And in that short survey, we asked you to tell us about some subjects that you think you would like to study about work. And I, I hope that this series has been good for you. I've gotten a lot of feedback about this series and, it, and the way that it's going, and so I've been really encouraged by that. But I want to talk this morning about one of the big themes that came back uh, about work, and that was facing challenges in our work. And there were three things in particular that you said that are really big challenges at work. The first one is loving everyone. The second one is authority, whether I am the authority, the boss at work, or I have to submit to the authority at work. That, that was a major theme. And then the third one was balance, just balancing home life and work. And so I want to tackle those three subjects this morning. Uh, the, the good news is there's lots of verses in God's word to cover this and to cover the gamut of this. So um, we're going to look at a lot of verses this morning, and I hope that one of these verses will do exactly what the word says and that it will become alive to you. It'll jump off the page, and it'll be a promise or something that you can hold to for today and for your life as we continue to trust God in our work. So let's pray, and then we'll look at the word together. Jesus, we give you thanks and praise. Thank you that um, we have your written word in our lives today. What an unbelievable miracle and honor that we can open our Bible and see what you have to say for our lives. That is such an awesome thing to be a part of. And it is an awesome thing that we get to know the heart of God as we open your word together. So we pray that you would just be with us in this place, in this room, in this moment. Holy Spirit, we ask you to change us to be like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first challenge we face in our work is loving everyone. Does anyone have somebody at work that's hard to love? Okay, we're almost, we can probably all raise our hands. I should probably put mine down, right? Because everyone at my workplace is just totally awesome. There's nobody hard to love there. They are always just perfect people all the time, and we never have a difficult day ever at church. That's what living at a church is like and working at a church is like too, and I'll repent of my lies later. <laughs> Loving everyone is certainly not an easy thing to do, is it? When Jesus was here on earth, <laughs> he modeled something very interesting for us. He modeled what it means to live life for God the Father, what that looks like. And one of the things that he did really, really well was he loved everyone. It's just this amazing thing as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the things that you cannot avoid or evade as you read the scripture is that Jesus loved really well. Now here's what's interesting. <laughs> he loved so well that it became the major complaint of the religious establishment. 
He loved so well that they began to say things like what? Why does he eat with sinners all the time? Why does he hang out with the tax collectors all the time? And in Mark chapter two, verse 16, it says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? We don't understand this. Why is he not hanging out with us, the people that love God with all of our heart? Why is he hanging out with the people that don't? Do we know why? Yes, we know why. Because he loved them. Because they needed God's love just as much as those who had already chosen him. And so the reason Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners is because he wanted them to know that God loved them. Because frankly, nobody else was loving them. And the same is true for somebody in your life. And it's probably somebody you work with. And probably the reason that they're hard to love and that they lash out and that they are, you know, they're just a hard person to deal with is because they haven't been loved well. And they're hurting. And hurt people hurt people. And they probably hurt you. And it's because simply their heart is broken and they just have not been loved well. And in walks you, the one who's carrying Jesus' love inside of you. And you get the opportunity to love them well. Now, there's a warning here too. If we're not careful, we can do the same thing today that the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. We can be judgmental. So we need to guard our thinking from judgmental thoughts towards other people because it's not our responsibility to judge people outside the church. It's our responsibility to judge people inside the church, but not outside the church. That's another message for another day. It is our responsibility to love. It's overwhelmingly our responsibility to love. But here's what's true, and I know you know this, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. The enemy of your soul wants you to hate, not love, doesn't he? The enemy of Jesus, the enemy of every believer in Christ, the enemy of the church of Jesus Christ wants us to hate, wants us to be judgmental, wants us to snub people that are different than us because they think different than us, hold different values than us, have different philosophies than us, live different than us, have different lifestyles than us. And so the enemy of our soul wants us to judge them and snub them and hate them so that the love of Christ never touches them in an authentic way that changes them to be like Jesus, like we got changed. And if we're not careful, we become just like a Pharisee. We become a modern day Pharisee. So we have to guard ourselves from the spiritual attack and the wrong biblical thinking that you and I are somehow called to hate more than we're called to love. Now, when we read the New Testament, you will find the word love over 300 times. That's a lot. Makes it a major theme in the New Testament. The word hate is used 40 times. And it's interesting that not once is the word hate used to infer what you should do to someone else. It's never used that way. In fact, most of the time, the word hate is used to how people 
will treat us as Christians. Verses like John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Titus 3, 3 through 5 says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Here's this great dichotomy that before we knew Christ, we we had this hatred inside of us. We hated others, they hated us, and we were just fine with that. But when we met Jesus, his kindness and his love saved us and is changing us to no longer live that way where we hate others and they hate us. In 1 John 2, 9, it says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. See, it's pretty clear that hating people is not the desire of God for our lives. Now, let's be clear. Loving people and having a boundary and accepting the things of our world are totally different. You can love someone and still not accept how they live and their lifestyle and the way that they choose. Jesus is a great example of that. Did Jesus want to become a tax collector? No. Did he desire to live in prostitution? No. But he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes all the time to show them the love of God. So it's possible for us to have this balance in our life where we love people well and not get caught up in their sin. Now, I'd like to read several verses this morning about love that we find scattered all throughout the New Testament. And I'd like to just let the word of God speak for itself. His commands for our attitude and our thoughts and our actions are quite interesting and very demanding. But would you concentrate on the words that God has given us about love? And would you hear something in these several verses that I'd like us to read that I believe God has given us and called us to live as followers of Jesus. So let me share several with you that cover kind of the gamut of major themes about love in the New Testament. The first one are the words of Jesus in John 15, 9 to 12. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Philippians 1.9. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians 5.2 Walk in the way of love, 
Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. In 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. As you read through the New Testament, it's easy to see that love is the life of a believer in Jesus. Now, if we're going to be honest, we have to say this. It's not the easy way, but it is the way. You can't deny it. You can't avoid it. You will discover as you read the New Testament over and over again that love is the theme because God is love. Now, maybe you're like me sometimes and you say, Pastor, I've read all those verses and I still can't get it right with my coworker. <laughs> I, still, I, just, I just can't get it right with them. I just can't love this person. Can you help me figure that out? How am I supposed to love I'm just struggling to love, what can I do? Well, I think one of the things that I've discovered and that I've learned and that the word declares is one of the things, if you're really, really struggling with love, you know these things, you're, you're trying your best to live this way, but you're really struggling with a certain one person or maybe it's two people. I want to encourage you to pray for that person by name every single day. Here's what I've discovered. Whenever I pray for a situation or a person or a thing or whatever's going on, but in particular, when I pray for a person that I do not like, you would maybe put them in a category of enemy. And Jesus said what? Pray for your enemies, right? What happens? When I pray for that person by name every single day and I pray things like, Lord, I pray that you would bless that person. Even though I don't want them blessed, I still pray that you would bless them. I would not bless them, but I pray that you would bless them, Lord. Lord, I don't know what they're going through, but I pray that you would help them with their life. They must obviously be struggling because they're so rude to me because I am so nice. So please, Lord, help them with whatever it is that they are struggling with. Give them help and direction and care because I have none to give. <laughs> I mean, these are the things you got to pray, right? And Lord, help me love them more. Help me understand what they're going through. And as you pray this, right, God will begin to change you. <laughs> Not them, you. God will change you. Leave them to the Holy Spirit. You're the one that needs to be changed. 
And guess what? God does it. Because here's what happens. When you begin to pray for someone over and over and over again, you get the heart of God for that person. And what will happen is you'll discover that there are reasons that they are hurting. There are reasons that they are struggling. And the Lord probably has you in their life so that you can model what they need to get saved and healed and set free from the struggle and the sin they're in. And when you pray, something happens. Something changes in your heart. This is the miracle of prayer and the miracle of the deep love of God. That when we pray for people, he changes us and he changes them. And he also gives you the ability to do what you need to do and to have the attitude that you need and to have the heart that you need to love them well. Because if they know you as a believer, what they're really wondering is, could God love someone like me? And the answer needs to be what? Yes. And you need to show them that. The second challenge we face in our work is authority. Either being the authority or submitting to it, right? Some of us are the boss at work. Most of us are the employee at work. But both situations are opportunities for us to honor Jesus. So let's start with those of us that might be in a position of authority. You might be the boss at work. What should you do? How should you operate? What should your life be like? Well, Jesus gave us some great advice in Mark chapter 10. He was talking to his disciples, who by the way, not too long from this time are going to be the authority in the church. They're going to be the leaders in the church. They're gonna be leaders in their community and in their cities. And Jesus is preparing them for this leadership and for this authority. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45, Jesus says this, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus talks about two styles of leadership here. He talks about two styles of authority. There are those who use their authority to lord it over people, to act superior to people, to dominate people around them and to advance their own little kingdom. And Jesus said, that sh should not be true for you as a believer and a follower of Christ. That is not how we lead as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we lead in a different way. We use our authority to serve. We use our position to serve. We use our leadership to serve. Now, if you've been around Cheney Faith Center for any amount of time, that's exactly who we are. That's exactly what we are striving to be in the city of Cheney to use our influence, our authority, our leadership, our abilities to serve the people in our city. For some reason, God has asked me to be on the city council, to serve, 
to serve our city well. I'm still praying about that and wondering about that and thinking about that on a daily basis. But all I know, it's called me to serve there for a reason and a purpose. And so I will go and I will serve the best that I can. This is the key to authority. The key to authority is serving and serving well like Jesus did for us. Another key to authority is remembering you're not the authority. God is. Like in the end, if you have any leadership position or any authority at all, you really don't. God has it all. God has all the authority and all the leadership. It's all due his name. We're not the authority. God is. Nothing in this world do we have authority over because everything is his. I find it interesting that Jesus chose when he was here on earth to lead 12 men closely, to hang out with them a majority of the time. But I'm also interested that one of the last things Jesus did in a leadership capacity, in an authority type capacity in his life while he was having an intimate meal, a Passover meal with these guys was to what? Wrap a towel around his waist and wash their feet. This was his last act before he died on the cross was to what? Wash their feet. Why? Because that's what servants do. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm flipping leadership on its ear. From now on, leaders in the body of Christ, in the body and outside the body, will lead like a servant. Jesus' model of authority, his model of leadership is servant leadership. So if you are in some type of authority position or in some type of leadership position, I want to challenge you to serve well. What should you do as an employee? Not the authority, the employee. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 25, God has some things to say to us there. I'm going to read it from the message version. It says, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Ouch. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Now we talked about this last week, right? As followers of Christ, we're called to be hard workers. We're called to do excellent work. I love that phrase. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. See, the secret to being a great employee is to always keep in mind that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ, that he's the one I'm working for, that he's the one I live for. And this is just a, an, a part of my life, an area of my life that I'm giving to him, that I'm submitting to him just like he has called me to submit to someone else here on earth. Titus 3.1 says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, 
to be ready to do whatever is good. 1 Peter 2.13, Peter said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. See, as followers of Jesus, we must remember that our first responsibility is to represent our authority well, and our authority is Jesus. And that our workplace becomes an area of our life, an area of our community where we get to represent Jesus well. And the first way that we get to represent Jesus well is by submitting to the authority above us, to making our workplace a great workplace. Because we all have been there, haven't we? Where, where you, you work in a workplace where it seems like everyone's not submitted to the boss. Whether the boss is a good one or a bad one doesn't matter. It just creates an awkward employment, doesn't it? Just creates an awkward atmosphere where everyone's kind of mad about everything and everyone. And so what God is saying is that's not the atmosphere that I desire for you at your workplace. And so why don't you lead as an employee in the first way, and that is to submit to someone above you. Submit to Jesus and submit to your boss. So as bosses and employees, here's what we discover. We work for Jesus. We work for him. He's our authority. So submitting to the authority above us is a way we submit to Jesus and model a life submitted to him, not to the world around us. Now, the third challenge we face in our work is balance. Balance. How do we balance our work and home life? Get to that in a minute. Maybe you've heard of... um, a Christian nonprofit organization called Barna. Barna is a Christian research firm, and they do all kinds of surveys about living for Jesus, about our faith, about God's word, about the state of the church in the current world. And so they do all the all kinds of studies all the time, and they're always doing studies. And recently they did a survey about balancing work and home life. And here's what they discovered. Number one, they discovered that 95% of people said it's possible to balance work and home life responsibilities. So they felt like, this is, by the way, normally you don't see like a 95% thing. That's pretty abnormal. But overwhelmingly, people were saying, "I, I think that the Lord can help us do this. The second thing they found was that there were several things that couples said in the survey that they learned can help them balance work and home life. Here were the things that they discovered help us balance that. One is to feel encouraged by your spouse to pursue your work and dreams. When you feel like your spouse is encouraging you, uh, that goes a long way to balance things. Another thing that can happen is when you pursue work that you love without having to alter your home life, it seems like you end up with a better balance, right? So you have to figure out this is how much time we want to get a home life and this is how much time we're going to give to work. And when you pursue that, it seems to work itself out. Another thing is making sacrifices in each other's work for your spouse. So I make a sacrifice for my spouse to go to work and do some things. My spouse makes some sacrifices for me to go to work and get some things done too. And then lastly, they said, for both of us to work, one of us must have flexible hours. 
If we're going to balance things well, we can't both have high demand jobs. One of us must have some flexible hours. The third thing that they discovered in the survey was that there were keys to maintaining a career, staying in love, and raising a healthy family. And those four things were this, good communication, loving your spouse well, working together as a team, and making time for each other. Good communication, love, working together as a team, and making time for each other. Now, this is just a survey. It's what surveys said. It's what people digressed together and digested together. But what does balance really mean? I mean, I think we all know what we're, what we're longing for and what we're searching for. It means that what we're trying to do is we're, we're find a, trying to find this like rhythm in life where our time and effort at work equals the care, attention, and love that we want to give to our spouse, our children, and our responsibilities outside of work. I think what we're trying to say is we kind of want life to be like a teeter-totter, right? Like we want our home life and our work life to be perfectly in balance. One is never above the other. And so you're just in this perfect balance of home life and work life all the time. That is exactly what we're all looking for. The only challenge is that's impossible. What are we talking about? Really, honestly, do we all know how to teeter-totter works? How does it work? One-time workload's really heavy, and I got to get it done. And my home life is, ah, I wish I could be there, but I just got to get this done. And then there's other times, what? My workload's not as heavy. And so now I can spend more time at home. And we're constantly like flipping that around, but like that's reality, isn't it? That's real life. So how do we get there? How do we get to that place? Because here's what's interesting. Here's something I find kind of challenging when we start to talk about balance in God's word. God's word does not live like an American. Has anybody figured that out yet? <laughs> this book is not the American lifestyle. What's the American lifestyle with work? Go, 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 perform, perform, perform. Come on, let's go, let's go. Every minute, every minute, every productive minute must be productive, must get something. My stock's got to go up. Come on, get busy. That's the American way. And the Bible's way is what? Stop, rest, pray, be patient. In fact, the Bible, if we were going to pick up a way that work is done in the Bible, it would be agricultural. That would be the way. And, and what do I mean by that? Work really hard for two months to plow your field, get your animals in shape, get your crop in the ground, and then wait. Wait. And wait longer and wait more for three or four months. And then what? Work hard again. Work hard again. Get it in. Get the harvest in and, and then sell it. And then what? Wait. Hang out with family. Go hang out by the sea with grandpa. Like that's Bible life, but that's not American life. 
And so you and I are caught in this challenge of what we read and what we study and what what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and the American lifestyle that is just 100% grinded out all the time. That's the challenge. How do you balance life like that? I'll be honest, you can't. You don't. There's no way to balance a life like we've created in America where you're just supposed to grind out your work constantly, where your phone never leaves you and your work never leaves you. That's impossible. So somehow we have to find a way to do that, right? And, and, and here's what I think. Sometimes I think what we do is we, we think of work and home life as these two like opposing forces that are fighting one another all the time. <laughs> that work and home life fight each other. That, that's, that's what they're doing all the time. But, but that's not what God's word says. We've been talking about this from the very beginning, that what God's word says about work is what? That work is part of God's design for your life. So here's what we discover. Work's part of God's design for my life. Being a good dad is part of God's design for my life. Being a good wife, being a good husband, being a good grandpa, having rest, taking a Sabbath, an entire day of rest. Yes, yes, that's what God meant. Like these are the things, these are the designs of God for us. And we, we're saying what? I wanna trust God in that. I'm going to trust that God's not dumb and he's figured this out. He knows what's best for me. So you and I have to try to figure this out. But we have said in culture, what? Work and home life are like separate and they don't cooperate with one another. They fight each other all the time. And God's word would say, no, that's, that's, that's not how life works. What God's word would say is this. We just need to wake up and live for Jesus. Just wake up and live for Jesus. Spend some quiet time with Jesus. Talk to him, read the Bible. Go have a bowl of cereal. Take, talk to your wife for a bit and your kids for a bit and kiss them goodbye and go live for Jesus at work for a while. And come home and live for Jesus and love your wife and love your kids and Train your kids and live for Jesus at home and live in the spirit. And whoever's in front of you, love them like Jesus. But sometimes we complicate all of this. And when we complicate it and compartmentalize everything and have different goals in different places and they're, and they're all fighting and competing against what God's saying, then we miss the simplicity of the whole thing. We just miss the simplicity of waking up in the morning and the rhythm of my day is living in the spirit to honor Jesus wherever I go. If it's my day off, I'm doing it today. If it's a work day, I'm doing it where I go. Whatever it is, that's what God's word declares. Let me show you. Colossians 1, verse 9 through 12. I'll close with this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom 
and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Now this verse simply says it like it is. This verse applies to life. See, it's God's desire for us to live this way wherever we are, at home, at play, and at work. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that your heart for us is definitely that we would love everyone. And Lord, um, I just want to pray for those in this room. You, you know who you are. Just have someone tough to love. Lord, for those of us that just have someone like that in our life right now, we pray for the supernatural ability to love them well, to love them like you would, Jesus. Because we know that we may be the only Jesus they ever see. And what they need to see is someone that loves them well, a Jesus that loves them well, and a Jesus that wants the best for them. And so, Lord, would you help us with that? Let it start in our prayer life. Lord, help us to deal with authority well, whether we are the authority or whether we're submitting to it. Help us to be people that understand and know that you are our authority and we will obey you first and foremost. And Lord, help us to understand what it means to have a rhythm of life that just includes you in everything. Lord, we know we're probably never going to achieve balance. All the things that are happening in our life are never going to be equal all the time at the same time. That's probably not reality. So Lord, help us to just bring you into everything, into our lives, into our families, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, and into our city, that you may be exalted and praised always. We give you thanks and praise. Lord, help us to do this because we recognize that it's something that is very important in our lives. And we want to get it right because we love you and we want you to be honored in our world. So we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, as you go this morning, you'll notice out in the commons that there's an opportunity to register for VBS. So parents, um, go ahead and start registering your kids for VBS. But you also might want to volunteer for VBS or volunteer for AMP Camp. So all of those opportunities are waiting for you out in the comments. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.